it's not okay to say, oh, I had a racist phase, but it is okay to be like, my opinions and my knowledge has changed from a certain period in my life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Black Anne a candid conversation about racism, white people, and ways to move forward. I'm Jonathan. And I'm April. And we're brother and sister looking to discuss how race informs important issues, current events, and what white people looking to make a difference can do. On today's episode, we're excited to share our conversation with three Gen Zers who share their thoughts on 2020, activism, and high school during a pandemic. But first, Jonathan, what's on your mind? I'm excited to talk about this, and I've been trying to think about the best way to approach it because it's such a huge issue, but I really do think we should talk about reparations. Wow, yeah, that is a big issue. It is a lot to discuss, and we could spend a whole series, podcast series on this, I think. But the way I always approach reparations is, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people argue against reparations because they argue um, that there isn't a good way to do it. And there's not mm-hmm. a good way to, they argue against the whole, practical. right, the whole notion of reparations because um, of one issue that they have with the implementation of it or how would they do, like, you know. Um, and I'm not even trying to talk about that. I want to just talk about the, can we discuss reparations and the people who are out there studying reparations and the economists and the race scholars and the people who have spent their whole lives coming up with plans for how to do this but haven't even made it to the table yet because the government is not open to this idea so we're stuck in an if instead of how right and so like we've the whole you know during the the primaries in 2019 ahead of the 2020 election the democratic primaries reparations were like on the table as a talking point and as a a policy point of people's platform um and that's wild and that's a great thing to see um but of course as it as those talks shed, you know, uh, away for the primary and then Joe Biden is elected and and now he's won. No one's really talking about reparations anymore. But so do you think do you think that you think about reparations more often or more seriously in times such as these in, you know, this is this is New Year's Day. 2021. Yeah. Mid pandemic. Yeah. People are struggling. I just got a six hundred dollar check. In my bank account, which it like thinks, but like right, same. Okay. It's like cool. I mean, I guess like, like but it, it, so, and that's not just six hundred dollars is a good amount of money for a lot of people, but that's it's sort of an insult compared to what people need right now, yeah. um, and what could have been on the table. But right, yes, the answer is yes to your question. I you know I think about how this is negative, how the pandemic is negatively affecting black and brown people, and I'll stick with black people for now because we're talking about reparations to descendants of slaves um, in this country, it's affecting us the most. It's affecting us the, and so like- Do you think people even agree on that? Reparations for the descendants of slaves? Well, so that's another thing that people bring up as a way to argue against it. Well, what about Native Americans? Well, what about the Japanese people that were in, in internment camps? Well, what about yeah, Irish? Well, should, what about, yeah. it's like, okay, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I guess, well, so for me, it's like the only group that would, that sort of, holds a candle to um, 
it's not yeah i don't want to say it that way because and it's not a comp- start comparing it's them, not a competition know? about who's america has fucked over worse right you know and i also think that people forget that like what's I don't think this is the right phrase for this, but I really want to say it. What's good for the goose is good <laughs> for the gander. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. But like what what helps lift up and support and remedy issues for black people also just in the general idea of ending racism in America can only help Native Americans right. and Asian people and you know, well, in and their, it's, and so their fights for equity. A rising tide like rises all boats or whatever. It's, yeah. Like actually, no, no that's no. Actually, that's not that's not right. Because like, that's sort of the opposite of what you're saying. What you're saying is like, rises. well, I'm the tide. That's the, right. No. So like that's what Bernie Sanders would think, right? Like yeah. if everyone's Help doing everyone. better economically, then black people, of course, will do better. But I think what you're saying and what I, I agree is that if black people are doing well, mm-hmm. if black women are doing well, for example, then everyone will be doing better right. because. Um, <laughs> bottom of the totem pole. Well, right. Like, it's the black women are, there's no more, I mean, Malcolm X said it, right? There's yeah. no more disrespected or unprotected or, you know, uh, person in America than the black woman. So, but, so I think, yes, I do think about this in times of need more, but I also think about it just as a standard uh, part of my politics that it's not even really politics. It would just take our political representatives to make this happen. But like, it, it is, it comes up to me in times of when I think about the wealth gap um, and I'm arguing about the wealth gap and I, I argue with people that like getting rid of inheritance, for example, large multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar transfers of wealth to young people whose parents have died um, just because their parents had the money and now they get it um, because that's the American way. Doing away with inheritance would be one of the fastest ways to close the racial wealth gap. Um, It is. Can you imagine? Right. I can already hear like the. So doing away with twenty-four-year-old like white dude like that's my money. Right. That's my dad worked his ass off. Like, Like, have you worked? Right. Well, so that's what I was going to say. It's an uh, unearned benefit that your parents can give you. that is nice of them to be able to do, but it's not something that you've earned. And in my mind, it's not something that you're entitled to. And it's in part because of racism. It's right. I was going to say, so it's, it's, there's a reason that white people are the ones that are able to pass along these large inheritances. It's a reason that the wealth gap is growing. The, the gap between, you, you know, uh, household wealth in America is getting larger between the races. I think it's something like $17,000 for black people to $70,000 or a hundred. It was like 117,000 yeah. to 17,000 or something like that. It's, it's way more um, wealth per family. So it's just wild that the people, and so, so it, you know, these, this conversation comes up when I talk, it comes to my mind when I'm thinking about inheritance because if you believe in inheritance, you need, then you believe in, you reparations. Believe in reparations. You know, like uh, black people's inheritance, our ability to build wealth, our ability to save it in a bank, our ability to let it grow and add to it um, was taken away from us. Not even that we couldn't make enough money to save it, we couldn't make money, right? Like we were not paid for the labor we were doing as slaves um well slavery ended like so long right and so so 
Those, right, those people would just have you believe that it's coincidence that the right. biggest wealth gap is between white people and, and the people who were once enslaved in this country's right. descendants. Right, and people act like, like when slavery ended, then black people could go buy property and houses and, you right. know, right. land. Right. And you just, that's just not what happened. Yeah, so there was a proposal. I mean, the whole, yeah, the, it, 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 the opposite of that happened. They, a lot of people, a lot of freed slaves ended up working on the same or nearby plantations as quote unquote paid laborers, but it was just pay enough to pay to live on the plantation yeah. because they got charged rent, right? Like, and they got charged, um, you know, and then sharecropping stemmed from that. Um, and then if you don't know what sharecropping is, please Google it. Like our grandfather worked for a sharecropper, literally. And then homeowning. And then, you know, right, exactly. Redlining and banks, you know, the, it is every company, you know, I look back at the Wells Fargo's of the world, they sold uh, not only did they sell and back insurance uh, policies for slaves as property, then they, once those slaves were freed, they said, okay, well, so slavery is not a thing anymore, but we're still not going to be giving loans and mortgages to these people. Um, so the big companies are so involved in this as well. The huge American financial institutions that make up our society were a part of this as well and so and then you have things that linger today all of those things that are just mentioned redlining that is still a thing that happens it's just legal in legal ways right but you also have you know your seemingly smaller items where you're getting you know appraisals done for the properties that you do own black people uh statistically are appraised at their their uh, properties and homes are appraised at lower values right. compared to white people. Yes, it's not. So it's just there. You know, yeah. The idea of black people being able to build wealth at the same rate with the same ease comparatively as white people is just nonsense. I mean, we we talked. Our episode recently was on implicit bias with Jerry Kong. If you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen to it. He gives basically a TED talk on implicit bias and. Every person who is determining whether black people are allowed to progress through society, the lenders, the grocers, the bankers, the property owners, the trash man, the, the teachers, the doctors, they all have implicit biases. So the notion that like, right, that like since slavery was ended and in the 60s, laws against discriminating laws that said uh, you can't discriminate against black people on the basis of race, those were instituted in the 64 and 65. That stuff's done now, but those the, the racism is still there. The prejudices are still there. So um, it is, it, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, look, if you really thought that people should be allowed to pass down wealth to their heirs, it is a right, it is an American right to be able to pass your wealth down from generation to generation. And that's part of the reason that innovation and ingenuity is driven in this country because people are thinking, I wanna make sure my kids have a better life than me. So I wanna make sure I do really, really well. So when I die, my kids have a better life than me. If you think that that is an American value, you should be for reparations because black people literally never got to do that. We still don't. And so it is one of those things where it would, and while I'm thinking about it, I should say, everyone, if you have not yet watched Watchmen on HBO, uh, the remake of the old uh, comic, they deal with how a modern America would go through reparations in a, and explore that in an interesting way. I would, it, I would 
really encourage people to watch it because it's just an interesting take. But yeah, I'm not interested in talking about how it would work, right? Like mm-hmm. that's not even, we're not even there. We're not even like at the um, at that table yet. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote a, a piece in The Atlantic years back um, called uh, The Case for, for Reparations. Reparations. And it's this long, very Ta-Nehisi Coates piece where it's, it's just very, it takes an hour to read it. Um, two hours, three for me, perhaps. Say, yeah, right. No, no, no. I, it's like, please believe I highlighted it and had Siri read it to me, so don't. Um, so, um, you know, he talks about the whole, the fight is just to get it to the table, just to get people talking about it in Congress. We haven't even, there are people in our, in society, very smart people who have figured out um, and, and have written proposals on how to do this and how to measure it um, particularly with the, the DNA technology that we have now, but but it is one of those things where it is, we're not even to that part yet. We're not to that point yet. We're not to the point of deciding, oh, well, if it's descendants of slaves, like do native people get it as well as from being displaced and being eradicated and, and, is the and one killed? Rule and literal, is or? the one literal? Right, exactly. Is the, you know, do, do Japanese Americans get it because of their time spent in internment camps over, you know, during World War II? Too. Um, it, it, it is sure let's talk about these things but let's at least start with the basis of the people who were enslaved for 400 years or so in some version of enslavement or, or captivity for 400 years or so um, should get it should right. get it you know like it should right. get should get like and it's one of those things where i think about this a lot i talk about my i talk about this with my one friend from law school who said like and he's a black man my age and he's like look man like i i don't even want money mm-hmm. and and i so i should say i do jonathan i do want money <laughs> right like i think that it is no black people are owed money that is not that is a, it is not a something that i think we should have it is a, something i think we are owed um, money for the generations that have of, of wealth that have been stolen, how you would come to that is, a, is an interesting question. But my friend was saying like, look, I don't even want money. I just want to be treated nicely. I want the same thing you give a military member mm-hmm. when you see them walking by in their full military mm-hmm. outfit. I want you to tip your hat and say, I hope you have a good day. I want you to let me get on the plane first. Mm-hmm. I want you to let me just- Park in the front spot at Lowe's. Exactly, like have a just a couple little things where like I get the benefit of the doubt and get a nice little bump in my day just because I'm a descendant of a slave. And so you can imagine all of the people around the country who would, the particularly white people who would, who would scream, that that is racism, Jonathan, that you are, why should I look at you just based on your race and say, have a good day or have a good, you know, or here you can get bored, put your luggage in the overhead first or whatever. Uh, it, that's a silly example, but it's like, yeah, so using race as the way to determine this is necessary but that doesn't make it racism. You're not taking rights from someone else by giving a hat tip. This is why we're some... still at the right. conversation. Exactly, exactly. It's infuriating because it. Uh, what is the argument then for, you know, I believe inheritance is an American right. I don't support reparations. They would say, it's so just... they would say, what they will say is it was not a, ste- and this is a, a bad argument, it was not a stealing of, tangible dollars from a piggy bank, right? Like it was mm-hmm. not like someone came in their house, stole money, mm-hmm. and then left with it. 
that did happen. Let's be mm-hmm. fair. Let's be yeah. honest. That yeah. did happen. That person's wrong yeah, I'm for saying that. Already, Literally, like, like black people were looted our whole lives. It wasn't even just money in a bank. It was like homes, family units, all that, lives. right? Like, like lives, literally. So not to mention that you take that person who, mind you, this came up, this this person argued this with me in the context of uh, inherit the inheritance talk like mm-hmm. I did before. This is the person who is the son of a multimillionaire, uh, um, and yes. I, I know that about him. And so he thinks with that same brain that he is entitled to that million dollar, whatever it is. It's it's hundreds of millions of dollars once his uh, parents have died. But that since there was no seize direct seizing of wealth from enslaved Africans, that that's not something should happen, but that's not the that's not the metric. And it's like for me, it's like, what is the metric then? Because money, y'all, money's the only thing y'all listen to. I'm just imagining yeah. right now if just a let's say a horde of black people came to this person's house, you know, and where they kept all their money, let's say, and stole all their money. How do you want to be repaid, sir? Right. Well he this guy's not saying this person's not saying that he's saying that that didn't happen for black people. That it was, it was, they were treated as a different member of a different class of society, which is not the same as taking their money. So, okay. Which in my mind, so, it's like, yes, it is. So, so it is. You're wrong. Right. He's wrong, right. you know. But okay, so what do you think should happen? Right. That's what I want to So, know. yeah, so what, that's not what, that's not a question you can ask that person, right? They because they don't think happen. anything should happen. Because right. they don't think anything's wrong. But that's what I'm saying. So, right. you can't, like, you right. can't just, like, it's turn on half a light bulb in your brain and imagine yourself on the other side and think what would I what would I think in this situation that takes like so very little empathy and and like brain power that that kind of argument to me is not that's not his his actual opinion no it is no no but I mean that is he doesn't get to say that he can't see the other side because he's not that dumb you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, he doesn't yeah. get to say like I genuinely like can't imagine like what right. you would want. You don't get no. That's how he talks to. Yeah. That's but it. like you, so you're being deliberately obtuse, and that's just not. Yeah. I mean, that's I not think a real this con- person that's not is a real caught up in a bunch of other things too. That is not. But so, and I don't want to focus on him anymore. But that's the general argument that these people make, and and so it's like, it's a, it's sort of missing. I mean, choose the metaphor. It's missing the forest for the trees. It's letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. It's like not even letting reparations be a word we can use in the halls of Congress uh, because what about Irish people and what about Native Americans? And that's not to say that these people didn't have a horrible experience, especially Native Americans. Native Americans are the only people that I would say experienced the... uh, a similar degree, if not more, than the the trauma and years and years and of suffering than descendants of that than African uh, victims of kidnap and torture did, you know. Um, and my thing is and, like yeah. with all of those, with all the different instances of horrible treatment that different types of people received in America. If people are saying, "Well, what about us? What about us? What about us?" Yeah, what about you? You know, study your experience, compare it to all of the other ones, and let let's quote ration it out. Right. Let's you come know? up with a plan. Like right. Irish people, do you, are you really comparing? Right. If you think that it, Irish people were slaves just the same way that African people were, go do your research. Find out that that's wrong. Find <laughs> out that Irish people were never owned in chattel slavery the way that 
African people were, and then let's make the comparison. I was if you really say, want to. If you think you were wronged, which Irish people were, sure, uh, you know. Of course, yeah. Irish need not apply. Yeah. Then yes, let's compare it. What proportion? Yeah. You, what proportion do you think that experience was to the experience of an African slave? Yeah. You should receive those reparations then. Right. 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 Like so, like, so uh, people don't need to feel excluded, but let's be realistic. Right. Um, but the point is, if this were about a a gang of pirates who came upon uh, John Smith and all of them and stole a bunch of their stuff, we wouldn't be talking. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be a question of whether they'd be repaid by the government for that. It wouldn't be a question. The reason this is so difficult for people is because it's black people. Yeah, that's the reason. So there's no like. You know, the GIs, when they came home from multiple wars, they received, you know, infusions of money into their... That's why some of y'all's grandparents and aunts and uncles have homes because of the GI Bill, right? Like, there are there are tons of times where we were, uh, throughout our history in this country, where we were in the country the government. I, I say we, like I was back then slash in charge back then, which I very much would not have been. Um, the government back then was encouraging uh, expansion and growth and and uh, all these programs. And so, like, that's, like, boomers. Like, that's how y'all got it. Like, yeah. that's how you don't have... Yeah uh college debt that's how you don't that's how you have a fixed rate mortgage like y'all had a lot of this stuff um and not only did the next generations of people not ever have these things but black people didn't ever have it right. still today right um i think sorry go ahead no please well i think when we when it when we're coming you know full circle we don't talk about reparations because white people don't honestly want equity that's right and that's yeah. i mean that's the whole yeah, that's the gist of this podcast is white people and racism. But like, there's just really no other way to put it when you think about our history and the idea of reparations. The only thing that actually makes logical sense as to why we're not doing that now is because white people don't want it. So it, that's right, and the, and this is a good this is a good um, time to point out the differences between equity and equality or sameness yeah it's one of those things where if every black person received x amount of dollars because they're a descendant of a slave every white person not receiving that is not sameness right it's not equality but it could very well be equity right like it could be that there's so much of a deficit that that's bringing black people up to the level of uh, to, of zero right of of, of zero uh uh you know, when it comes to wealth and when it comes to growing wealth and when it comes to being able to move that through uh, your generations uh, uh, of your family. So, yeah, this is one of those instances where s people need to not confuse sameness and equity. White people don't, the, who are against this, don't, reparations don't seem to want equity, like you said, because they're, in part because of racism, but in part because they're confusing what needed to be done here to make the playing field level treating everyone the same doesn't mean things are equitable right yeah right they're just it's just that's obvious to me mm -hmm. and it's obvious to you but it just seems like yeah yeah moral of the story is I, I just thought it was important to flesh out how we feel about reparations i knew how you would feel april yeah it, to me it makes logical social economic sense how much better would our Think of the think of the neighborhoods. Think of the buying power. Think of investments. Think of black-owned businesses. Think of 
all of, think of fucking food deserts, all these things that exist in so many black communities around the country. Think at the difference an infusion of cash would make. We've seen it before. It's about money. It's not about, it's like, oh, like, and then you have the, the idiots who would say like, you know, money doesn't fix things. You can't just throw money at it. But it does though. No, all the studies that I've seen on this show, it won't, that wouldn't, it wouldn't lead to, you know, silly, spending on silly things. It would be spent on the things that we need to live, like homes and food and education and things that we shouldn't actually have to pay for, pay extra for. But since racism exists in America, there's a deficit. There's a reason that black and brown people are relegated to the da most dangerous, the uh, most, underserved. Most, uh, most underserved, most sort of blighted communities. That's not because of choices, it's because of racism. It's because of the system of racism. So an infusion of cash, routine infusions of cash in my mind, this would be monthly, you know, or bi-weekly as far as I'm concerned, to people who are descendants of people who used to be owned like cows and cars and, and uh, you know. Dirt. Yeah, chattel property you know, their their tractors and shit on their farms used to be owned like that? Giving those people money would do something. It would. That's Mitch McConnell's worst nightmare. It's crazy. Can you right. imagine? Right, no, exactly. That's a good, it's a good point, April. Like, today is the first, we're recording this on the first of the year. You and I both got these $600 uh, stimulus checks. It's the most Mitch McConnell could bring himself to give, and it's the least that Republicans could stand giving while still having it count for something. Yep. Um, and and it is, but just like that, the decision was made a couple days ago and it's in our accounts today. Yeah. So we can do it, right? Like it's yeah. not like we can, we can, this mechanism is here to just insert money into people's accounts. You know, uh, I don't want to get into the how because you, you, we can't, we, we, I totally can't. I have my own but reasons like, for how this would work. Like, it's just insane. But that, it's like, just wild. That the quote stimulus check, they're reparations. Right. It's the government taking responsibility for the pandemic. White people, you're the pandemic. Right. Like, <laughs> you're the pandemic. Oh my of, God. Of race. Yes. Of racism. And like, you feel like you're owed right now because the pandemic took your job. Right. Took your house. Right. Took your family. That's what we're saying. Mm. Like it's just it just it's just so right. logical. I don't understand. Metaphor. Like yeah. you just don't see yourself as the pandemic. It's people and... who it's people who it's the same people when you bring up canceling student debt who say, well, what about my I I paid oh. off my student debt. What about so since I'm suffering, you should too. Right. You know it's that's just, what people. Yeah. And it's like yup. So a people who are against reparations, y'all aren't suffering the way that black people right. are. You're not. You're just not. Neither did your uh, your your ancestors. Your your my grandfather's grandfather was a slave, so our father you know, picked cotton, right? You know, for a sharecropper. Yeah, yeah. our parents were uh, interracial marriage was legal for fifteen years before our parents got married. So this is not like just centuries ago. This is us we're talking about now. You know, right? Like it's not removed. It's not in the past. It's right now. It's happening. Right. Yeah. White people's continued benefit from racism and white supremacy at the expense of black and brown people is the pandemic is race the racial pandemic that's what it is you're so right to say that and i want a fucking stimulus check and i want my goddamn stimulus yeah and that's that on that
So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have our conversation with three uh, Gen Zers and get their thoughts on 2020 and everything you can do uh, to be a little bit more like them. All right, so welcome Abby, Zoe, and Sai to Black And. We're so happy to have you with us. You're so happy to be here. <laughs> if you could start off by introducing yourself, let our listeners know your name, how old you are, how you identify racially, um, how you identify your gender, um, and anything else you think would serve our listeners in sort of connecting this conversation um, and getting an idea for who you are, I'll say. Go ahead, Abby. Uh, so hi, yeah, I'm Abby. Um, I'm 18. I'm a senior in uh, high school. Um, I'm white, and I use she, her pronouns. Okay, I'm Zoe, and I'm also a senior. I'm 17. I am Asian American, specifically Chinese American, and just some racial context is I'm adopted. My parents are white, and I use she, her pronoun. Hi, I'm Sai. Um, I'm 17. I'll be 18 next month. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm also a senior in high school. Um, I'm non-binary, so I use she, her, or they, them. Most people just use she, her. That's fine. Um, I'm black. And is that it? <laughs> That's great. Mm, that's good. Yeah. So I think the sort of elephant in the room um, when we're talking to people who are 17, 18 years old is COVID, school, WTF. How has this been affecting your life? I can't. I remember being in high school. She I said WTF. I don't like to remember it because <laughs> I don't know about you. It wasn't very fun for me. But I can't imagine being in high school, being a junior or a senior and experiencing a pandemic for hopefully the last time, but definitely the first time um, in your life. So can you speak to um, how this is affecting your everyday? Um, What does, uh, if college is in the future uh, for the three of you, um, how is affecting that? I'm sure it is. And um, yeah, some of the, some of the biggest sort of obstacles you're, you're having to face given that we're in the midst of a pandemic and you're in high school. So, Sai, why don't we get started uh, with with you? Um, it's been rough. I was talking about it uh, with my therapist earlier. Um, and, like, she actually teaches the classes, too. We were just talking about how, like, it's so hard to, first of all, it's so hard to just be home and just to do assignments on time and in class and, like, in the time allotted to do them because, Sometimes I just like to sit on my phone watching TikTok, scrolling through Twitter during class, <laughs> and I'll just, all of the classwork becomes homework, and so it piles up, and, like, it snowballs, and so you have to spend, like, a week catching up on stuff, or maybe longer, and it's, it's just, it's so much, and on top of that, speaking of college, like, uh, applying, like, doing common app and like applying to like different colleges that's it's so like it's so difficult because technically that's like extra curricular stuff like it's 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 outside of school stuff but it's important but it feels like school stuff because it still works so you have to motivate yourself to do that and like it's just it's a lot yeah yeah I mean it sounds like it and you said so just as a side note 
I was trying to prepare for uh, for this and I started taking notes and I literally just wrote the word TikTok um, and then didn't know what else to write. And so we're going to put a pin in TikTok and come back to it because I have so many questions. Same. Um, but uh, but uh, no, I appreciate that. So Abby, what about you? So is it, I mean, you know, uh, as sort of as full disclosure, Abby is um, works uh, with me uh, as uh you know, helping me with scheduling and helping a lot with the podcast um, and is a friend of our family. And so I know April and I both have a history with Abby and we, we know your family very well. Um, and you were the, you know, the one that organized this uh, this meeting with your with your two friends. And so big shout out to Abby Jane. Um, but uh, so, yeah, Abby, what is your what's it been like for you? I mean, we talk about college and um, applying and how you've been, the things you've been working on, but I don't have a good sense of what your sort of day-to-day is like and how you've been coping with um, with everything going on while trying to do all that other stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. I, I agree with Sai, like you can't really talk about school and COVID without talking about mental health. Um, and that kind of just goes with being in a pandemic in general. Um, I don't know, just like imagine being back in high school with tons of technical difficulties and then like everything else goes wrong. It's like there's so many nuances into like how our access to education is affected um, and it's it's very overwhelming. Um, there's still teachers who like we're months and months in a pandemic and there's still teachers who do not accommodate, um, who are not like understanding that we're in a pandemic um, for like uh, mental health or like other um just like things that happen yeah. like circumstances yeah and like I, I i could go on and on about the, like number of technical difficulties um but i mean yeah I, I guess that like as far as like college um it's so hard to like think about the future and plan for the future when you really just have no idea what's going to happen so that's that's like especially hard but i mean going into applying to colleges, um, I was kind of like late in the process. Um, and usually if we didn't have a pandemic, it probably would have been fine, but then there was a pandemic. So I didn't have any standardized testing. I had no SAT scores, no ACT scores. Mm. I hadn't visited, I'd only visited one college, Temple. Uh, so yeah. Shout out, shout out Temple Maid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, Temple's cool, but I wish I'd like kind of, done more early in the process and like I didn't you know I obviously couldn't predict a pandemic um but yeah so standardized testing it's like um it's it's crazy because uh well I know so for our schools Zoe and I are are at the same school um an SAT test was required to graduate um so they had everyone come in it was social distance um we were wearing masks um wow checks yeah um but then i know that there was like people who were having trouble like opting out because they had like um health concerns or they would be at risk like it um and that was like another like there's just so many more layers that um yeah yeah wow so yeah yeah, i was gonna say that is i didn't even think about standard like sat testing and all that stuff like it's interesting that abby you mentioned you, you you said you know imagine going back to high school, which I refuse to do. (laughs) And then imagine all of these technical difficulties. But when I do think back to high school, I mean, all that would have broken would have been our projector. Right, there wasn't that much technical happening anyway. 
I remember we got um we got computers for one class and we all got these like weird little laptops and it was like the coolest thing thinking back now they didn't do anything except like word processing so it's just a totally different even in the way that school is right now and interacting in school is yeah the technology I I, I can't imagine what that's like to your normal day-to-day is depending on that technology and then for it to fail what the heck do you do can you even experience school and it sounds like not really which is and then it's like unfortunate also i it's hard for me not to think about this from a sort of larger social context so like the adults in the room like the people who are supposed to be running the country and making sure that everyone is okay and not panicked and um accommodated and all the things weren't doing it right like people were the the people in charge of the country were not even acknowledging that it was real so um i know that just has to be like a you know i I know you all can see that you all know that like trump's an idiot and like because you're smart people and i just trust that you know that but it's got to be tough when like those are the leaders like those are the people that are supposed to run the country and you know, we talk about all the time that, like, I know you guys are, you know, smart and make your own choices and do all that. But, like, we're these are impressionable, like, years in our, even our lives, you know? And so this is just the fact that this is the normal is sort of uh, wild to me. Um, that also makes me want to talk about politics a little bit. And maybe we can talk about TikTok. But, you know, there are – we are seeing ways – we're we're seeing hearing news of Gen Z as a as a generation um, doing all sorts of new and cool sort of innovative things when it comes to politics, when it comes to activism, when it comes to using technology for um, various aims. We saw, you know, for example, uh, Donald Trump was having a, a rally back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a while back when he was running for reelection, and we heard. I mean, I heard about this like on CNN, like. Oh, actually, this, you know, the reason that they thought so many more people were going to show up for this event was because a bunch of Gen Z aged people went on TikTok and like made a campaign that's like reserving ticket seats for a Donald Trump rally and they were, they were not going to show up to. So it was like this brilliant move that like everyone that we only learned about that are like 16, 17, 18 year olds doing this, people who aren't literally aren't voting in the election. Um, so I wonder if you all, you know, there are reasons that Abby asked you two to to be in this, uh, to take part in this interview. So I wonder if you could talk about ways that, right, exactly, <laughs> right, Sai gives a big peace sign. Um, I wonder if we can talk about ways and uh, that that you all sort of carry out your activism in your day-to-day um, and carry out the things that, if you don't consider yourself an activist or a, or whatever, but carry out the things that are important to you socially um, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of all of not being able to be physically present around your friends. I know that's sort of an open-ended question. I was say, what's your question? How do you like, yeah. So see, see, Cy gets it. Cy wants to answer. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yeah, I do get the question. Um, Thank you, Cy. Someone understands me. <laughs> um. I think in in me, Abby and and Zoe, I don't know if Abby told you, but like we all had like a conversation like about like all the questions and stuff. So this kind of goes into like the um well like my problem with like you know that whole everything that 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 happened this summer. 
Right. But like online activism, I me personally, um, when this whole like this resurgence of Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement after you know like George Floyd, kind of like, oh y'all are paying attention to Black Lives Matter. Oh okay, that's mm-hmm. cool. Like where were y'all like, you know when? Right. Right. Sandra Bland, Freddie Gray, all that stuff. So, like, my online activism is kind of, like, minimal because I've been doing this. I've been literally doing this. I My mom took me to uh, the Trayvon Martin protest when George Zimmerman not indicted. For me, like, yeah, I'll post, like, the, um, what are the things on Instagram? The, uh, the pick the little graphs things like the thing. yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I'll post like some of those because some of those are very like informational and stuff right. like that but it's just like other than that like I'm tired <laughs> I like and that's so sad to say I'm like 17 about to be 18 like and I'm already tired but I mean that's what America does to you so sounds like you've been doing this like it's not it's not right. new to you like Black Lives Matter, that's a movement to y'all, but that's my life. So right. I, I don't know what y'all want me to do. Right. You know? Right. So for me, it's good to see. I think I think it's really good, especially for like allies. Like so like TikTok, like, you know, all them kids. It was you it was actually really BTS, like stands mm-hmm. and, and Stan Twitter and all that, them buying all the the tickets and stuff. It's really good for like allies and stuff. Uh, to like see all that on social media because you know that's how we get our information not right. even just Gen Z all of us we're all right. on the internet you know so I, I think it's a good thing I personally kind of keep it like minimal I usually do stuff like in the community or like I do what I can with like in, uh, being involved in like projects and stuff but I kind of keep it to minimum so I wonder so that's interesting and I feel like it is you know um, it's an assumption that we make, that I make, that you know, all people that are younger than me basically are always on their phone and are always using technology or and always, you know. And so it's actually yeah. interesting to hear that, you know, that stereotype being just totally, you know, blown out of the water when you're like, I don't really mess with like, you know, you know, TikTok or Twitter, or all those things, and, and you do stuff in your neighborhood and in your own um, community in real sort of tangible ways that are that are physical i wonder if it's um it's just crazy to me because like april I'm, I'm looking at you like think back to when you were 16 and 17 years old i wasn't i did not have a good understanding of what even was going on around me in society much less i mean i knew what was right and what was wrong because that's what you're taught and that's what you you learn in your family and in school but like you know, the notion that I'm going to a protest or a, you know. Yeah, the information was just so not as readily available. Um, so I'm 27. So, you know, 10 years ago, I knew what was important because let's say I knew what I thought was important based off of what was on Oprah after work that day. What guests wow. did she have on that was current? Um, or, you know, am I going to be like, so bored and watch the news or right. you know like it, it just wasn't there was no go on your phone and and scroll a little bit to in 30 seconds to find the biggest updates nationwide globally of what's happening um in, you know in current events it just wasn't that wasn't a thing that we could do so it's 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 yeah it's really interesting the the difference 10 years makes as to what we can do what we know and how we get that information 
Um, so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder how, how do y'all get your information? So maybe Zoe, how do you, you know, when you are listing the top, you know, five or 10 things that are sort of in society that are troubling you that you want to expend energy and effort on, how do you find these things out? Is it a social media thing for you? Do you watch the news as someone who's 17, 18 years old? Do you, how, how does it, how do you come across this stuff? Um, I think both Abby and Cy would agree that out of the three of us, I'm just not in touch with like internet culture at all. <laughs> I, I don't really use social media except my website. I mean, I have Instagram, but um, just what Cy was talking about, I've become kind of cynical about social media activism uh, because my stance on issues about race just comes from experience and working with people and hearing people's stories primarily. Um, I would also say I'm a big podcast person, especially with the pandemic. I really like going on a walk with a podcast, but when I was more active on social media, I think it just really frustrated me because it was this weird divide between being happy for people about education and also this optical allyship that felt very one-dimensional. Uh, so I would say my primary sources of news, sometimes I'll just read the news, sometimes I'll watch it if my parents are watching it, but I don't really use social media for the news. Optical allyship that's one dimensional, people using social media um, as a way to sort of show whatever performatively, uh, maybe activist work that they're doing, but that's where it stops then. Oh, I posted something. Oh, I commented on something. Oh, I shared something. And that's about the extent of their activist work. Is that what you mean? Yeah. And I mean, I don't know everything about people's lives, but to a certain extent, it's just also if you're not, if I'm someone who's not active on social media, then I start to feel guilty if I'm not projecting everything that people will start to think this or that when, and that's just goes to say about how Gen Z functions that we only think things are valid if we've somehow documented them on the internet when there's so much people could be doing that we don't see. Abby, what about you? Do you do you do you use social media to a to a greater extent? Um, are you sort of in the same boat where it's yes, sometimes, but it's not more of a, a constant thing that you're interacting with? Abby follows me on Twitter, so what? Her and two people. Wow, so mean. So anyway, mean. Abby, please go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I definitely i I don't use. I'd say, like, my activism isn't primarily on social media, but I definitely use social media. Um, I think that, like, a point worth mentioning is that, well, two points, actually. Because I'm white, I think think that I'm, like, a little bit less drained by, like, um, even, like, over the last summer, like, the way that people were using, I mean, we talked about, like, the one-sided, like, the allyship that didn't seem quite genuine. I, like... Like, it's definitely frustrating for me, but I don't think it's, like, impacting me in the same way because I am white. Um, and I think that, like, allows me to 
interact with people um, with, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But the other thing I wanted to mention is that like, I mean, I can't remember when, ex- what month this was, but when like the series of like the black squares, everyone was posting black squares on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blackout Tuesday or something like yeah. that. And that just felt like the definition of performative activism. Right. And then because it's on social media, um, it, it seems like, that a lot of, I mean, this obviously isn't the truth, truth or the case for all like activism on social media, but it seems like social media makes a lot of activism inherently performative. Um, mm. This depends on like obviously in what way you're using it and how you're using it. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting. So when on, when Black Blackout Tuesday happened, um, I mean there were, there were people. I was it was like my white peers who I know who like based on what they've said in class, based on what they've said in hallways, like, I know you are not this, like, you're not, like, this spotlight of, like, anti-racism, and, like, I, I, um, so I kind of took that as an opportunity to kind of, like, slide in their DMs and, like, have open a dialogue, um, like, Mm -hmm. if you post this, like, I'm gonna hold you accountable to having a dialogue about race, and I think that, so one, I think I was, like, yeah, I'm, I'm less drained by that, um, and two, I definitely think that because I am white, it was like the to- the topic of race was more approachable to them, um, which mm-hmm. I think is like really interesting. Um, the way I've I don't know if I would consider that activism, but just the way I've like used um, social media to interact with people about activism. Uh, yeah, I mean, Abby, I will say that I mean you're not asking for our. Uh, advice here but i'm gonna give it because i'm a big social media person too Uh, i'm a bit i am someone that uses social media a lot on uh for activism as a tool of course not as a you know um but i appreciate when i have allies of mine who are white who can step in when they need to step in because what you just said abby it people will listen to you because you are white in in a at, at a at a rate uh, that is proven to be higher than if you were not. And so that is, this is white people listening to you. Um, that is a thing that, that, that social scientists have, this is a, it's not a, a theory. It's a, a proven thing that um, I will be in an argument with someone over and over saying the same points, making the same. And April, you've seen this on, um, there's this app called Facebook that some of us have that you guys might not know about, but um, April, you would see this on. I'm on it. Right. On, <laughs> right. Cool. On, on Facebook. Um, arguing with someone back and forth. I'm saying the same stuff. And then a friend of mine, I have a good friend, Mike, who um, is a white guy who will just step in and like sort of rephrase things a little bit, but like mostly just be a white person saying the same stuff. And it's like, okay, this is wild because I just said all of this and now I see this person accepting it. That's its own problem, right? Like that person is going to have to deal with that in its own way, but at least the sort of you know the breach has been made right like at least like the door is being open um and so as someone who is not white and who is online a lot abby i do appreciate um the sliding into the dms and and talking you know approaching that person because i'm the same way i've gone on instagram and whenever i happen to see one of those black squares on someone's in someone's uh sort of list of what is it called tiles list of pictures where they have all the pictures wall feed Whatever. Whatever. Um, you know what I'm talking about. When I see that, I scroll down and say, well, let me see what else they've posted about uh, as it relates to racism or Black Lives Matter. And I don't know that I've ever found 
someone who has posted that and something else mm-hmm. um, because it, it, ever. Um, and so that is, it, you're right. It is per se performative. It is just, yeah. So that's my, it's not a question. That's just sort of my sort of response to hearing that. I appreciate <laughs> it though. Um, I guess I have a question for all of you. What do you see this country looking like when you're, let's say when you're my age, so I'm 34. So when you're, you know, some of you, twice the age that you are now you know double what you are now jesus christ um that was quick match on thank you that was good thank you i'm not gonna lie props, props, props. is it right though 17 times 2 is 34 holler yeah go. okay got it got it got Put it on your resume um, right i was gonna say um what do you see this to be like i know i didn't picture a game show host being president and black lives matter being called a terrorist group and uh and and all this other, you know, people being, you know, killed in the streets still um, on national television. When I thought of the year 2020, um, I, I, so I, I can't. What do you all think of when you think of the future, and where do you want it to go? Um, it's Zoe. Uh, this is a conversation I think we've had together, both Abby, Sai, and I, and then with just me individually with both Abby and Sai, it's really hard to tell if the world is actually progressing or if everything is just taking on a different form because Hmm. we give ourselves the illusion of this is progressing because we don't have slavery when obviously the 13th Amendment said it could still be used as punishment. It never got rid of slavery. And of course, women can vote and all this stuff, but there's more layers of complexity with the internet and everything. And I guess in some concrete ways, I think there has been improvement and there has been space because I never lived in a time that wasn't like this, but I can also say that it's just hard to tell if progress is actually being made or things just take on a different form and maintain the severity because Mm -hmm. like Jonathan was saying, I'm in a weird space and this is a conversation I have with Sai a lot being Asian because I'm neither black or white and I'm usually just erased from every Mm -hmm. conversation about race and I obviously acknowledge that Asians have a lot more privilege than black and brown people of color though I think it's frustrating that Asians can be brown and people don't see the diversity but that in conversations people just completely like I've said stuff about race and they just do not answer at all because they expect me to be complacent and submissive. I think, and like Zoe said, we have talked about this uh, a lot, but like I have a more, I have a more cynical view of uh, for the future, just based off of, well, of course you can't predict the future, but like the the precedents that have been set, like especially like like a main thing is really this summer. For me, because like, and that's like, that's actually the whole thing with the Black Lives Matter movement, because, you know, after Trayvon Martin was murdered, like, this, it was like a resurgence, because back then it was Rodney King, and even before that, it was, you know, 
Plessy v. Ferguson and just like even going back to like all that stuff. So this is quite literally have been like this has been going on way before us, way before, you know, like generations and all that stuff. So I and I hope I hope I'm not right. I really I really hope I'm not <laughs> because I don't wanna I don't wanna believe that like my children, future children, future grandchildren will have to put up with the same stuff that I'm dealing with. But you know, we can only hope. But like I think I think what will happen is that what happened this summer, like and what really happens with a lot of issues, like people it gets trendy to talk about this issue, like mental health and like um, LGBTQIA plus rights and like, you know, but as soon as Pride Month is over, as soon as like it's time to talk about like, like the healthcare system or like, you know, therapy, affordable, like all that stuff, it's ooh, crickets, you know, like where, where it's again, like um, Abby and Zoe said, like it's performative. So I think that it will be performative, but I don't know. I hope it, I don't, I don't know. I, I hope that people actually listen to Black people because we tend to be right, but they don't really do that a lot. Like I said, they only hope. <laughs> yeah. So you, you know, I, I'm the same. I have, we have, the, I think April and I have the same outlook as you do and I don't think it's coincidence that out of the five people on this call um the three black people are probably the most pessimistic that does not shouldn't surprise anyone listening to this podcast um but you're I mean you're totally right we're talking you mentioned you mentioned Plessy v Ferguson you should just dropping like first of all supreme court knowledge just like no big deal but like that was the case that said separate but equal is okay and here we are, Brown v. Board overturned that, at least it was supposed to, but here we are, schools are still segregated, there are black schools, there are white schools, there are not, there are hardly integrated schools, there are hardly schools that aren't segregated. And it's not a secret, that's what gets right. me, it's not a, oh, black did students you get know, this. Right, right. did you know that actually schools are really segregated in this day and age. Can you believe it? It's right. like, no, 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 this is deliberate. Right. We want them to be segregated. Right. That's that's by choice. It's the way we design things to keep us all separate. That's what, that's what, that's what gets me. It's not, it's not undercover. It's, our society is functioning exactly as it was designed to function, which is, to me, much scarier than if these things just sort of happened upon us and we didn't do anything about them. A related question, um, you shared sort of your thoughts on the future. I wonder if you can discuss how your, how you see, maybe if at all, your generation in particular impacting the future. Because I think we can look back, we can look to, you know, the boomers, or we cannot, and we can just choose to ignore everything they've ever done. <laughs> we can look to, boomer you know, hater, boomer hater. the millennials to... Uh, myself and Jonathan and sort of uh, we're still young but we can sort of see the impact that millennials have had on today on on things that we see today how do you see Gen Z impacting um, society the future uh, yes yeah, so I think about climate change our podcast is about racism so I think about race but in general how do you see your impact your generation specifically impacting society um, I mean, I can talk about this a little bit, Abby. Um, 
I think that there's definitely this narrative that like Gen Z is like the solution to like all of our problems in a certain way. Like all of these um, leaders, all of these like youth are like coming up with um, these great ideas and um, or like they're so much more educated or they're but like realistically like no there's no generation that can be a solution to any of these problems um and I think that's just kind of like I don't know American individualism leads us to believe that leaders can be the solution that a generation can be the solution but like that's um in order to believe that that you have to have a complacency because you're not taking any personal responsibility right um so I think the only way that we can really and I mean, I was talking with Zoe about this. Um, the only way that we can really kind of like impact the the future is like through education. Um, and I think that's uh, that goes back into social media, right? Talking about, I mean, Zoe would be a great person to talk about this, talking about like polarization. Um, because as much as there is performative activism, there's so many good resources. There are so many like uh, infographics there's so many like all these different educational resources and like links to protests and like different connections between like the activist community and like there are so many people who have educated themselves during the pandemic who have become an activist during the pandemic who have put them to that community um but on the on the other side right uh we see people who are embracing white supremacy um who are going further in the other direction I mean, I, I guess I just wanted to, like, acknowledge that as much as social media activism is performative, there, of course, is, like, definitely so many, like, positives. Um, I, I think, like, one of the biggest positives that I've found is, like, connections to local, like, um, activists and connections to, like, groups that are making change within my community um, that I just wasn't aware of before. I've, I've also... I mean, like, I follow, like, local politicians on Instagram and, like, follow, like, what my school board is doing and what, like, my community board is doing so much more because I see people's posts on Instagram. I see people's posts, like, on Snapchat. Um, I There's there's definitely, like, I, I want to make it clear, there's also, like, obviously so many positives, um, but there are, like, just as much there's just as much education towards activism as there is. I mean, obviously I'm not like a super qualified person to talk about, like, I don't know every, what percentages, but obviously there's more polarization happening. There's just as much education to activism as there is education um, for white supremacy into, I mean, I don't know if you can call it education, but um, um, there's communities, right? And that, that community is being built on both sides. What Abby was saying about polarization is something I've been thinking a lot, both politically and more generally ideologically, uh, just because, you know, everything has become so much more partisan in a democratic Republican sense. Um, And in social media, there's always the question of these echo chambers that you follow people you tend to agree with and news sources that you that maybe have a little more opinion than just explicit and nothing can be completely subject like objective but um when you do that you start to think oh because I'm not following things from the other side am I just reinforcing my self-righteousness and 
hearing things repeated back to me that reinforce the ideas I already have. But then it's also hard because everything is so polarized and there's no middle ground that you can't really try to hear the other side because maybe even five years ago I could read something from a more conservative source but now it's it's just like I don't want to participate in the echo chamber but I also can't read something that's just race like explicitly racist and untruthful so so we ask all of our um all of our guests uh one question and it's just basically advice on what white people that are looking to make a difference in all of this can do so any it does doesn't have to be just racism you know any advice for for well-meaning white people who are uh looking to make a difference on these issues i'll start so abby asked me asked us this question and so i was like oh i don't know if i have advice for white people but <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, I really try to keep my interactions limited. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but thinking, um, again, back to the summer, I think that is actually something that my counselor, great white woman, by the way, love her, um, said to me, she was just like, because I was having problems at school, because um, I go to school in Louisiana, um, I live in Louisiana. Um, but she was, I didn't notice or like really realize anything like racial or whatever. And this is like a woman, like an older white woman in her like for, uh, late 40s and stuff. So she was like, I didn't even realize any of that stuff till I got to college. And um, in this summer, like a lot of Gen Z white kids talking about, oh, I had a racist phase. Like, remember, like, when I had that racist phase um, where I like to say the N-word and, like, appropriate Black culture, and I, like, love Black people now. So, (laughs) again, doesn't give me much hope, but I really feel like I don't think that, I mean, I don't think that they have, like, the, the understanding, like, you know, to be like, oh, this is what they're talking about. Because you can hear a lot of noise, and especially growing up as a kid, like, you don't want to listen to like certain stuff because like that's just whatever you know ignorance is bliss especially as a kid like you don't know a lot you know but I think really you just have to grow up and like be like hey you know you can still listen to like it's not like you you can just like sit you know and just be like la 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 hands in your ears like oh i don't want to listen to the black people or like anyone but <laughs> people still do that though they do that as, as adults as well so just fyi because they're children but yeah right. exactly. <laughs> they never grew up <laughs> never matured but um yeah that's what i would definitely say like just like grow up but also try to like listen also question everything because white supremacy it really affects everybody. Like, of course, it affects, like, us, like, Black people and people of color the most, but it affects, like, everyone. So to try to unlearn all of that, that's a lot. And I give a lot of white people, like, I give them their props because, like, to realize, oh, hey, mom is racist or, like, my favorite person is racist or this isn't what I, this, this is what I was taught, but this isn't true about, you know, all that stuff. It takes a lot. So, yeah, I would say grow up, but also try to question everything. I'd probably add to that, that 
a lot of time white people, but also non-black people of color, like, will say, well, why, well, why are you just being so cynical? And, you know, not everything has a deeper meaning. Um, yeah, it does. <laughs> like, nothing is, oh, I'm just trying to watch this show, and they did this, like, blackface or yellowface or something on it, but, you know, I, I can still enjoy my forms of media, like, entertainment, and it's, it's no... It, nothing is ever out of the question, like Sai said. Everything, systematic racism, systematic sexism, everything is everywhere all the time. No one's f- free from it. So the biggest thing is probably to know your place because you should be educated, but never let your voice overstep. Mm. And... I also think that just it's just hard to get people to want to be educated in a nuanced way because it doesn't matter if it's Gen Z, it doesn't matter if it's anyone, it's really hard to make people want to question things. And I guess another advice is practice humility because like Sai said, it's not okay to say, oh, I had a racist phase and blah, 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 but it is okay to be like, my opinions and my knowledge has changed from a certain period in my life. Right, Um, right. And if someone tells you, you can also ask all the time, just like to have someone explicitly tell you, is this okay? And it's not embarrassing to ask if you think something you're saying could be questionable racially it's always better to ask than just let it sit there. And even though racism is awful, if someone is giving you a gentle reminder and you're making conscious efforts, like you don't have to be embarrassed to realize you have opportunities to grow. I guess I have one more little thing to add. Um, I'm talking about, I guess, if we're talking to white fellow Gen Z members um (laughs) like going off what Sai was saying like grow up I think there's some like there's two things that kind of like white members of gen I don't really know how to phrase that um white (laughs) men are holding on to and that's like obviously just like the innocence and ignorance of childhood and then they're also holding on to like the inner innocence innocence and ignorance of like white privilege Right. So you have to really like acknowledge that you're doing that. And that's like and you have to do it purposefully. Um, And I I think that's the most I mean, like you have to be purposeful about the way that you're learning about the world. If you're learning about activism um, and race and uh, patriarchy through social media, then you need to know how social media works. You need to know that there are echo chambers. You need to know that the voice of like white youth and like white um activists are going to be given like more attention in the media and you have to like be aware of what your sources are you have to be aware of who you're following um and i think that so much of growing up is and growing out of like white privilege um and white supremacy is it's just there's so much of it that's not like about protests it's not about posting a black square and there's so much about it that it's really just internal 
And I think that people have to recognize that internal anti-racist work is just as valid as, as like committing your career and committing your time to, to, um, to supporting anti-racism in, in the world, right? Um, and I think that once we have that, once that people accept that internal work is just as valid, that education is just as important, then, then Gen Z as a generation can really make change. Wow. I would embarrass myself if I pretended that there was anything to add after that. So yeah, I'd like to end there. Um, I I want to give you all a big thank you from our listeners already, because this is probably one of the most insightful and so clearly helpful episodes that we've had. Um, so uh, with that being said, Sai, Abby, um, our gracious Gen Zers, thank you so much for coming on to Black And and for teaching us so much. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> and now for this episode's action item. Jonathan, lay it on us. So I mentioned this earlier, um, the HBO show Watchmen, um, it, which is a, it, you know, it, it's, it stems from a, a comic book superhero type vibe, but it's it's much more than that. It is very, very well acted, very well scripted. Um, it's on HBO starring Regina King. They, they get into uh, reparations and how reparations would be um, distributed. They don't do it for victims of slavery. They do it for something else. Um, which is a very real thing in this country. It's based in reality. I think white people specifically uh, should watch it because it explores the sort of fallout um, from from reparations, but also um, so many other issues, the sort of generational nature of pain, the generational nature of white supremacy and the way that it furthers um, itself from from you know parent to child, you know, to child, to child, to child going on. And so it is um, It is a fantastic look at that. It came out um, much earlier in 2020, but I think it's worth, um, you know, a watch for at least every, every uh, person who's listening to this podcast who is white and wants to know. It covers a lot of really good topics. So I think that that is, that's the action item I think is to go watch Watchmen on HBO. episode of Black Anne was produced by us, April and Jonathan Perkins. It was edited by me, and our music is by Fifth Child. You can find more of his work at fifthchildmusic.com. That's number five, fifthchildmusic.com. You can find Black Anne wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you heard today, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Also, be sure to tell your friends. And until next time, be mindful, be vigilant, and and keep keep asking asking questions. questions.